Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. It's been a very long time since we've recorded. It feels like an eternity. Um, in fact, it was just before the Euros that we uh, did, our, did our last episode. So it's, uh, it, feels, it feels good to be back. And as always, I'm joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Mr. Grayson. And it is a pleasure to be talking to you on this podcast yet again. Um, how have you been? Um, well, well, I, I definitely had, I came down with something, Tom. Uh, I wasn't very well. I, I came down with Euros fever, um, as you well know. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's important to mention, I've seen you twice since our last podcast. I hold twice. Um, once uh, once at uh, Wembley for Italy v Austria. And of course, the other time for your, your stag do. Your stag do. And at the time of recording... We're uh, we're we're just over a week away. We so. are just just over a week away from uh, my big big wedding day, so it's uh, it will be emotional. But yeah, from from not seeing you for what felt like five years, <laughs> um, I've seen you quite a lot recently, which is uh, which has been lovely. And I uh, will see you in a, in about a week as well, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but obviously, you mentioned in the build-up to that that you've uh, you were struck by Euros fever, and I think uh, the the entire country was as well. So I think that's a that's an excellent place to start um, because obviously, when we ended the last podcast, we we spoke about a few expectations and hopes for the tournament, and by and large, I think the tournament uh, delivered. Um, now, obviously, I've I've made no secret of the fact that international football is something that I struggle to really get behind um, in terms of a, a patriotic view, which I'm sure we'll go on to um, shortly. But uh, in terms of a, a festival of football, I had a, I had a wonderful month. And uh, I know that you were very busy with your regular visits to Wembley. Um, so where would you like to start? Well, well I think... I think um... Well, let's, let's start and talk about who, who in their right mind would have predicted Italy to win it. Um, and if only they had <laughs> means to record said I, I, prediction. I, I, was dre- I was dreading this um, because obviously <laughs> I think you text me when you got back from the final, you text me at about half one in the morning to say, called it. <laughs> I did. I did call it. I did call it. Um, I think I'd like to start with just, um, uh, I think it was the thing that got me more than anything, and the reason I think I was more swept up than ever in anything, and, and uh, you know, I went to both semi-finals, went to the final, um, was being in a stadium full of fans was incredible. Uh, and it, sh- it I also wonder whether I'd have felt as uh, hyped up for it as I was if I'd have been going to Arsenal all year. But because it felt so special to be in a ground with, well, it was meant to be 70,000. We've all seen reports. It was comfortably more than that. And it was comfortably more than that in the Denmark game as well. Whatever happened at the final absolutely happened at the semi-final as well, just on a, a lesser scale in terms of people breaking in. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the things that stood out being in a ground, I've never been in a ground where... 85,000 people, if you like, were supporting one team. I've been to Wembley with Arsenal many times, as have you. But singing It's Coming Home after that Denmark semi-final, then Sweet Caroline, then Freed from Desire, they are memories that will absolutely live with me forever. 
I didn't know how much I'd care until I realised I was going to watch England at Wembley in a major tournament and suddenly I cared more than I ever had. But again, I, I do wonder whether it was because it was just seeing fans back. And all I can say, one of my biggest hopes going into next season is whatever energy people have stored up by not going, we just got to bring it because being at live football again is amazing, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a, obviously a very different tournament because I, as as I alluded to in the uh, the intro to this, I, I'm I've never been particularly sold on uh, following England or anything like that. I've been to a few England games in the past, um, and it's always been a pleasant experience. But I would say it's been the experience from uh, being a football supporter as opposed to an England supporter. So my experience of the tournament was obviously I went to the Italy-Austria game with you, which uh, was a, a really fantastic um, event. And I had a great time being it, even, even though the game was not in itself um, a standout for the tournament. It was still really a wonderful experience to be there and witness two nations coming head to head. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, but my my experience has obviously been watching um, watching the games on the TV, and um, I, I've I've been to a couple fan parks to to watch games as well, particularly in the group stage. So that was um, quite a good experience as well. But yeah, it's um, I wouldn't say I was I, I certainly wasn't gripped as much as you were for the tournament. Um, but I think I I was gripped from a different standpoint, and more is like I said earlier, like a like a. A, a football supporter just getting to watch all this football as opposed to being too invested in in the success of one team um so i i think i should probably touch on that a little bit more actually because i i think i'm 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 certainly in a in a, a minority of supporters who have not been gripped by england fever and i i've been trying to explore in the last month about why why i don't really have that interest and obviously, the obvious one is that I spend all season berating certain individuals, and then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to be behind the Harry Kane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of players like that, and I, I had a conversation with uh, with my dad about this actually, because when we watched the final together, I watched it with my dad and my friend Robbie, and they were both very, very invested in it. And I described the experience for myself as being like. On, on a Sunday, it was I'm I'm preparing to watch a game. Let let's say it's Man United Liverpool, which I'm really looking forward to watching, but I'm not really that bothered about what the result is. And that was kind of how I felt going into the final, which until Bukayo Saka came on, it, and as soon as he came on, I was far more invested in what was going on. Um, but no, it's uh, I've, I've got a strange relationship with uh, with England national team, and I think a lot of it is to do with um, the behaviour of, cer- of a certain selection of the fan base, which obviously, unfortunately, we saw throughout London on uh, on on the the day of the final. And I think that's that's a big factor. Whereas I just I feel quite disinterested because of that, and I feel like it gives a really bad representation of football supporters as a whole not just England supporters because as as you and I we go to games obviously we have a good time we don't get into trouble or anything like that we just go to enjoy the experience and I feel like episodes like Sunday kind of highlight it magnifies the the bad supporters within within society and become sort of a representation of everyone um, as a as a byproduct. 
So I think that's that's a big reason for it. So yeah, I did enjoy the tournament, but obviously not as much as you. <laughs> I'll rem- I'll remind you of your fan sentiment when we're at the uh, FA Cup final next year, and you've got a flare out your backside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, look, I, I actually didn't know a lot of that trouble was going on on the day of the game. Um, it, it, it wasn't in front of me or around me, and I was on Wembley Way from four o'clock. Um, but you are right. I mean, the fans, and, 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 and this is one of the things I have with England, and it's why, you know, without having Arsenal to follow in Europe this year, I, I, I contemplated, um, I, I really was swept up. I was like, would I, would I go away with England? It probably would be quite fun. And then you see all that trouble and you think, it's probably not worth it, is it? It's just, um, but the, the, the thing I'll agree with you, Tom, is when England scored in the second minute, um, Obviously, I celebrated wildly, but but it 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 is still not the same for me. It will never be the same. Um, you know, if if you ask me, Arsenal winning the league or the Champions League over England winning the Euros or World Cup, it would be Arsenal every time. So there is still that part. You know, it's uh, it wasn't as I, I haven't sort of gone that far with it. But um, I wanted to mention as well that I had three hopes before the tournament. Uh, one was Tierney out in the group stages and having watched Scotland's first game at Hampden Park without him. And that was never in doubt. Um, and then um, it was Xhaka to have a mixed tournament because it looks like he's off. And I know we'll talk about, well, we might talk about outgoings later. I mean, th- there's nothing to talk about, really. Um, but it, which he did. And I thought he played very well in that France game. And it was great to see. But it, it, international tournament is like Granite Xhaka sweet spot. It's the right kind of pace. It's the right kind of sort of lethargy in games, particularly later in tournaments. And he's great at that. If you give Granit Xhaka time, he is an outstanding midfielder. The problem is in, I don't know, 60, 70% of Premier League games, he doesn't get that time. Um, And then last one was Bukayo Saka to shine, which, I mean, we just got to talk about it because I, I felt he did. I mean, there's no getting away from... Several England games felt like watching Arsenal last season in that it was very flat. You were sort of waiting for your striker to do something, but the brightest spark was on the right wing in Bukayo Saka. And, you know, if, if Man United want to pay however much for Jaden Sancho, but Southgate and many others think Saka's ahead of him, then it just shows you what we've got on our hands. Um, but of course, you know, bookended by the saddest I've ever felt in a ground for an Arsenal player watching him step up. The minute he walked up, I had my head in my hands. I went, not him, not Bakayo, because I didn't fancy him, you know, to have never taken a penalty in your life in a professional game, even in a, you know, the charity shield penalty shootout v Liverpool. He didn't take a penalty. He's never taken a penalty. And when he missed, my heart broke. Um, and I felt so bad for him. And I know we've heard all the, you know, you and I have talked more than once about what these social media platforms need to do. I didn't, I actually can't believe what happened afterwards, but more generally for him, I was just so sad and, and worried. I was worried um, about how he'd respond, but, but do you share any concerns or what were your thoughts on that, that moment for, for young Bakayo? 
Uh, I'm with you entirely. I was absolutely heartbroken for him, and I, I, I texted my brother almost immediately after the game and just said to him, "I'm, I, I'm, I'm absolutely devastated for Bukayo Saka because he's obviously he's had such a good tournament and has made such an impact um, on the, on the biggest stage of all, and for it to end like that was really really sad. Um, I didn't like." My, my, I, I, I'm going to go back a step actually because my my view about penalties is, is if I was a manager, I would go with the approach of being like, okay, who would like to take one and start with that because I think if you if you want to take one, I think you've got that confidence that you that you're going to score. And I've got no doubts that Bukayo Saka would have probably put his hand up straight away and said, yeah, I'll take one because he's he's that sort of character. Um, but. I didn't agree with the fact he was taking the fifth penalty and how um, important that could have been. Um, and obviously, it turned out to be the crucial one. Uh, so I didn't agree with that necessarily. Um, but once he was there to take it, obviously, like let's be honest, it was a poor penalty, but the kid's, the kid's 19. Uh, my, my concern, like you've got, is is the wider implications of that. But I'm quite confident, particularly with the way that the England players surrounded him at the end, the way that Gareth Southgate surrounded him at the end, and the comments and support he's had from his Arsenal teammates. Um, I'm quite confident that he will be able to sort of put that to one side and really focus on the new season. Uh, again, because I think he, he has that kind of character that he will he will continue to rise straight to the top. So I do have a few concerns, but but equally I I'm quite heartened by the response from his fellow professionals um, going into the new campaign. Um, he seems to have a lot of support. Um, and whilst we're sort of touching on that, obviously it was absolutely vile the abuse that him, Jaden Sancho, and uh, Marcus Rashford got on the back of their penalty misses. But the only good thing to come of this is we have seen. Um, an, an outpouring of support from all angles, whether it's the media, whether it's professionals, whether it's um, like-minded supporters, it's been it's been really nice to see that support, and the, and it's come from all angles. It's not just been from Arsenal supporters for Bukayo Saka. It's not just been from Manchester United supporters for Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho, soon to be. Um, so that I, I think that's been quite quite a, a, ni- a nice exposure to, to the fans that usually get cast to one side by the idiots. It's been quite nice to see that magnified and all that support being sort of um, outpoured. So yeah. as much as it was a horrible experience I and mean, it's not something you want to see, there has been that that positive element to it that I think will, will stand those three players in good stead. Absolutely. And, and the reception for Saka at the Emirates when he whenever he makes his return will be incredible. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Um, <coughs> but, but, sorry. Be- before we move on as well, I did want to just touch on um, the statement that Bukayo Saka issued as well. And obviously, look, we're, we're not we're not naive to, enough to know um, to think that his exact words I'm sure they've been gone through like a PR company or whatever but the sentiment comes directly from him and the message is from him and he's a well-educated person so there's no reason to suspect that he what he's saying isn't heartfelt and and his true opinion and I thought that was I, I thought he hit the nail on the head with everything that he said um, and I enjoyed the fact that the Arsenal kit launch yesterday at the Armoury they had a shirt with seven with love always wins um, which I thought was a real nice touch to uh, 
to that to I, that I statement. I didn't know we were replacing Arteta with Jurgen Love. Um, <laughs> but if if he does always win, um, I think they'll be welcomed into the new season. <laughs> He is. He is. Uh, he is a class act. Um, he really is a, a top boy. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, and let's see. Let's see what. Um, let's see what comes of it. And I suppose uh, we can do this in so many different order. Uh, you know, we can do this in so many different ways. But last night, I suppose it's most topical that someone else in that squad looks like they'll be. Um, uh, well, like you and I leaving the shores of Brighton to head up to North London. Um, in their early 20s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the imminent arrival of, well, we believe the imminent arrival of um, Ben White. Um, what, £50 million is the rumoured price. Um, I suppose initially, Tom, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts are, I I like I really like Ben White. I think what I've seen of him at Brighton, I think he, he looks... Very comfortable on the ball, and I and I think you can see that he would be a direct replacement for David Luiz in that sort of building from the back approach. Um, so I can see why we've gone down that route. It wasn't necessarily a route that I thought we should be prioritising, particularly if you look at the the issues that we've got in central midfield and attacking midfield. Uh, it wasn't an area I thought we would spend that sort of money on, but. Look, I've I've spoken to you before about this that I've sort of got past the point where I'm I'm questioning how Arsenal spend money or how much money they spend because you, you it's it's become that sort of situation where it's not our money, um, it's the club's money, and as long as Arsenal are investing in players and in the right areas, then I'm fine with that. And I think the right side of centre half is probably an area that does need to be looked at because all, although Rob Holding has had moments when he's he's looked okay he's not someone you really want as your mainstay at that at that position and I think we're all in agreement that on the other side we've got Gabriel who although has had a few shaky moments in in general had quite a positive first campaign at the, at the club so if he can build on that and build a real strong partnership with Ben White I think that 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 will set us up nicely um so that's kind of my initial views on it um what about you I think you're right about him as a player. And I think, interesting, our profile of player we've been linked with and have already signed. You know, it seems like this uh, chap Laconga um, and Nuno Tavares um, uh, in the bag. It seems like we're going for a slightly different age profile, which I, I particularly like. I'd be lying if I said I'd paid particular attention to Ben White. You know, I I, I haven't. I know Brighton have been really quite good Um in the analytics world, if you like, last season. And I know at Leeds, he was fantastic and they loved him. I love that we've got an English centre-half. Um, I suppose I know what you're saying about money and I suppose I can't really judge this until the window's over. And I know that's sort of a cop-out, but the reason I say that is because if we don't buy forward players because we spent £50 million on Ben White, I don't love the deal. If we manage to shift some deadwood and sign the appropriate midfielders, as you mentioned, um, then, then I'm I'm more than all right with it. And I think it's a great signing. And I think he'll be our centre-half for years. He's a massive upgrade on holding. Um, David Luiz, I appreciate what you said about, um, and you're right to point out how good he was on the ball, but he wasn't very quick. 
Um, it meant we couldn't have as high a line as we need to to adopt the pressing game I think we want to, 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 to develop. Um, and Ben White gives you that. Pay, him and Gabrielle could be a formidable pairing. Um, and if you add to that Tierney and whatever we're going to do at right back, um, you know, even if it is Bellerin or even if it's Chambers, it's a really good back four. That is a good, solid back four. And if your backups are Mari holding Tavares um, and then one of Bellerin and Chambers, that's that's eight great options for me anyway. Um, I think there's an upgrade to be had on right back, but if that's addressed later on, I don't think that's going to cost us too many points because Bellerin and Chambers are both capable. So I do really like the deal. Um, and, you know, if you look at the England centre-halves and you look at Stones and Maguire, uh, you know, Ben White is much more in the Stones mould and Gabrielle is much more in the Maguire mould, if you like. And we've seen that quite literally first-hand complement each other pretty well. So I think we've got a really good back four. Um, it feels pricey, but way of the world, way of the marketplace, we all have to just start getting over what transfer fees are. The club have got the money, else they, they wouldn't spend it, especially with the Cronkies in charge. Yeah, I um, absolutely agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said about um, it, we'll only know if it's a good deal at the end of the transfer window. I think that's kind of the, the most pertinent point that you made because, <clears throat> as you say, if we do go and, and address all of the other issues that we need to address, then fine. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that deal. Um, but like you say, if, we, if, if that's it and we spent all of our money on a centre-half as opposed to the midfield areas, then, then it looks um, like a, a, another mixed, mixed signing in terms of uh, joined-up thinking. So... Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, and then obviously the other one which looks imminent is the arrival of Albert Sambi Lakonga, which I love his name. Um, <laughs> what I don't love, I saw a rumour that he was going to take the number 48, which I don't like that. Oh no, that's your, it's like your nightmare, isn't that it? That is my nightmare, but at least he's not a centre-half taking number 10 like William Gallas, but we'll uh, move on that from that. But speaking of number 10s, uh, there have been uh, leaked images of Emil Smith-Rowe wearing uh, the number 10 on his training kit. So it does look like he will be given that illustrious number. Um, obviously, I'm someone that is uh, quite invested in numbers. <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on that, that, that squad number change, Andre? Um, um, um... <laughs> I don't think Tom, I'm I'm as you know well versed as you to speak about it. I, I I think I think I've moved on from numbers, Tom. And if Sam, Mr. Laconga <laughs> is going to be number forty-eight, Smithrow can be what he likes. Smithrow can be what he's like, and as long as Smithrow signs a new deal, which I can't imagine they would humour the idea of giving him that sort of squad number if he's not going to sign a new deal, um, then I'm fine with that. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll speak about it because you know I love a number. Uh, I I like the idea of having our number 10 and our number 7 as two players that have come through our academy. And I think that's a really lovely thing for a football club to have, um, especially a club the size of Arsenal, to have two homegrown products occupying those significant numbers within a squad. So 
I'm, I'm quite excited if, if that if that does come to fruition um, from a very childlike uh, approach. Um, but yeah, it's, um, judging by what I've seen from Smithrow over the last year, I'm just I'm really excited for him to be involved from the from the offset of a season. Um, and see what he can really do because I, as you know, I, I love him as a player. I think mm. he's uh, so aesthetically pleasing, um, and I think he's got so much to offer. And if he is going to be our main creative hub, then I think that's really exciting. It's a risk, but I do think it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, agreed, agreed, absolutely. And of course, he um, he scored in pre-season. Um, before we talk about pre, well, it ties in quite nicely here because I was, I was just. Um, Reminding myself before this podcast of our start to the season. Brentford away, Chelsea at home, Carabao Cup second round. Yes. Uh, Man City away, international break. And then Norwich at home, Burnley away, and then Tottenham at home. But those first three, I mean, you never want a promoted team away for game one. You, you just I know we had Fulham last season. That was completely different. I'm a bit worried about that. Um, but I suppose, really, as we prepare for that, because we're a long way off, I think, doing a, a season preview and really going into it. You know, I know you watched the Hibs game, but how much attention do you pay, pay to what goes on in pre-season? I don't pay an awful lot of attention, if I'm honest. I think um, you just have to look historically. And I think when we were when we were the uh, Invincibles, our pre-season um, was nothing special that year. And then, obviously, we went on and didn't lose a league game. So... There are, obviously, there's things you want to see. You would like to see things coming together. But particularly looking at the Hibs game on uh, on Tuesday, I watched it and it's really important to sort of identify that, that I think that was Hibernian's fifth pre-season game because they've got um, a Europa Conference League qualifier game. So they were at a far more advanced level than we were in terms of their preparation. Whereas I think Arteta said Arsenal had four pre-season sessions. Um, with the players that were there. And obviously, there's a, a number of players that are not present because of international um, duty and things like that. So it's you want to see some some quality, but it's obviously not the be-all and end-all. What did concern me is that we... And I think this is probably partly because of the players that were available and, and their physical preparation... There was a number of players who were involved who we, you can imagine, we are actively trying to to move on. Um, now, the the one that really stood out from the starting lineup was um, Shea Kalasanac, who, with the arrival of Nuno Tavares, um, you have to assume is not in the plans. And he started and played 80 minutes, and I didn't really understand that. But the the only justification for that is that we didn't really have an alternative on the bench because Tavares didn't um, didn't feature at all. And it was only until the 80th minute when uh, Amari Hutchinson came on um, at left back um, that we that we saw him come off. But there was a couple of players that I looked at and thought, oh, I, I can't imagine you've got much of a future. So I don't really understand the involvement, but. That's that's kind of was my takeaway from um, the initial view of the starting eleven. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I think the only thing I'd say is it's. I think it's easier to sell someone if you've packaged them up um, fitness wise and they're ready to go. And also, I think you you have to plan as though they're going to be here as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, 
and if Kolasinac is here still, well, you know, questions remain. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose it's a bit like the Rangers game that's on later today. I, I, I'm going to watch it. Um, I don't. I used to go out of my way to watch preseason friendlies, mainly for the youngsters. Yeah. Um, but but it just shows you that what you see isn't what you get because we've seen loads of youngsters be unbelievable in preseason, then not really given a go, and then you see them again in the League Cup, and then you don't see them again. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think one of the things to just touch upon. So, quite like the Scotland trip, and actually, if the world was a different place, I, I'd probably have gone to Ibrox. I'd be quite up for that. I think that'd be a lot of fun today. Yeah, I think I think a full stadium um, with uh, a, a decent number of away fans. I think it, uh, that's one that I would have been really keen to do. But um, yeah, I think they're only letting two thousand in. Is that, I think that's what Absolutely. I read. Absolutely. And I, do you know what? I, I I wouldn't have done Hibs on a Tuesday night, but you're just never going to go to those grounds, really. Otherwise, I mean, hopefully we get drawn with our uh, Rangers. Hopefully, when we're back in Europe, and they are as well. Um, I would love that trip. But yeah, I, I think that's it. But one of the things, and I appreciate, well, I'm a little bit confused about this because we are going to America, which I can't actually believe, but we are. Um, but then we're coming back and playing Chelsea and Tottenham. And Chelsea, we've played a lot in pre-season. We've played, I've seen Arsenal play Chelsea, I think more than any other fixture in my life. Um, it just feels like we play them and get drawn against them so regularly, uh, especially over the last decade or so. But to play Tottenham at the Emirates in a friendly a week before the season starts, I hate it. I just don't know what that's about. Oh, it's not the Emirates. It's at their, their clown car it's, ground. It's at their ground, yeah. Well, I just don't I, don't... I hate it. We just shouldn't be playing Tottenham in a friendly. Friendlies don't exist. And I don't need that. I don't need us to lose to Tottenham in a pre-season friendly. I just think that's so... Poor. I don't really understand the purpose of the Mind series. I don't know whether you do, and there's a sort of thinking behind it that perhaps rivalries put aside. I don't know, but I don't like it. I really don't think you should be playing Tottenham at any point other than when you really have to. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in complete agree, uh, agreement. Um, I don't understand... I, I mean, I think the the whole purpose of the Mind series is to try and generate some, some money for um, the, the charity... But I don't understand why we're playing teams of. I don't. I don't particularly like when we play English teams in preparation for the season. Anyway, um, Premier League teams that is, and I've never liked it uh, because, like you say, I, I I think we should be playing them when we absolutely need to, particularly if you're looking at the Tottenham game. But I, I, none of it makes sense to me. It really doesn't make sense to me. And like like you say, I don't need to be lo- losing to Tottenham in a preseason game. Um, I don't. I, we don't need to be playing them. Period. We really, really do not. Particularly, if we're playing Chelsea and Tottenham in the early weeks of the season. Uh, it just, it just seems bizarre to me. But um, I, I suppose the argument would be that we start at that point because we're just before the season. That should be when we're starting to see um, players that are potentially going to start the, the campaign featuring in those games with the correct individuals that would play alongside them but then you're kind of showing your hand a little bit for the start of the season so mm-hmm. i i don't get it i really don't get it it makes no sense <laughs> um yeah going going back to um the hibs game quickly 
I've just got the team sheet up in front of me because obviously there was a few youngsters involved and just obviously on the football front, I know it's very difficult to read too much into it, but in terms of players that I thought um, performed quite well, I think Lacazette came on and did quite well in the second half um, and Emil Smith-Rowe um, played very well in the second half as well. So they were exciting to see, but there was a couple youngsters who stood out for me. Um, one was, I'm not sure of his first name, but Henry Francis who came on. Jack. Uh, Jack Henry Francis, that's it. Um, he came on for the last 15 minutes and I thought he, he looked quite good, actually. Um, and I quite enjoyed seeing his uh, his performance. Um, looks very comfortable on the ball, uh, moved it around quickly. And again, I know it's the opposition that you're playing and it's uh, it's probably someone that we're not going to see an awful lot throughout the campaign. But it's just nice to see a few names that we're maybe not so familiar with um, getting an opportunity. And the other one I wanted to bring up was uh, Flo Balligan, who has been promoted to the first team with uh, squad number 26. So we expect to see him involved this season, which I'm sure we were all expecting with the uh, contract that he signed last season. But I think what I like about him is his willingness to just get the ball and have a shot. He had he had probably three or four different opportunities where most players in our squad probably would have passed the ball or taken that extra touch and not taken the opportunity on. And he, he didn't really test the goalkeeper that much, but he did have this willingness to really just have a go. And I think that's something that our squad's probably missing and something which will uh, will probably be quite useful in the campaign. So those were probably my takeaways from uh, from the game the other night. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting, interesting. Um, okay. Uh, I was just doing a little look uh, at Twitter um, just to see when where there's more news about when Ben White might join. Of course, Saliba was trending alongside him. Um, I know we've talked about this a little bit. Um, and of course, we saw Guendouzi go to Marseille. We'll touch on that after this. But what do, what do we... Do we think we're pulling a masterstroke with Saliba's career development, you know, He's a year younger than Ben White or a year younger than Ben White was when he went to Leeds and had that fantastic season and grew into the player he was. Um, there's no question it was it was the wrong way to spend money three years ago. I, I, I think if you get over that point, you're OK. It's really hard to, because if you think about three seasons ago, what we could have done with and got for 28 million, um, you would not do this again. But it is what it is. But what do you make of this situation with with um, Willow? My situation, the situation, I think, is I, I agree with you. If you get past the price point, I think if, if you'd spent ten million on a on a prospective centre half who's eighteen and you loaned him out for a few seasons, uh, I don't think you'd be that disappointed with the way things are going. What I do think is is. When you read interviews from uh, Saliba, quite a lot of what he says, he sounds quite um, upset with the way that he's been managed by Arsenal. And I, and, and I, and I can understand that. And by the end of this loan deal, he's going to have two years left on his contract. So he's going to be at a point where you need to think about whether you're going to sell him or whether he's going to be a long-term prospect for you. And if he is going to be a long-term prospect, that's where you want some want him to be signing a new deal. Um, with two years remaining. And I just wonder whether he would, in the way things have gone, whether he would be willing to sign a new contract at the end of this season or, or between now and then. Um, so that would be my one of my concerns. My other concern, I don't think it is a concern, actually, because I think 
it's very rare that an 18-year-old centre-half comes into the first team um, and rips things up, so to speak. And I, I can see why he's not been used. I can see why he's been loaned out to get that experience. And I think going to a lesser league in the in the French league is probably a good move to try and get in that experience because you know he's going to play most games um, and he's going to play against some good teams. He's going to play against some not so good teams. But he's probably not quite ready for the Premier League. And I think that's what we need to accept. Uh, I saw quite a lot of people when the move came about um, really annoyed and quite upset that he wasn't going to a Premier League team. And the simple fact of the matter is that he... They clearly don't think he's ready for that. And probably going to Marseille and in a league that he's familiar with um, and having another year there, I think is probably good for his development. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, And I think we just have to be patient. And look, the problem is, is we're just so scarred and so desperate for success. Um. You know, we have watched us dwindle from Champions League to Europa League to nothing, um, just in terms of Europe, European competition as a barometer. So I can see why people just hope he comes in and makes a difference. But, you know, there's no reason he can't become uh, or grow into a really excellent centre-half for Arsenal. And he might not. And the French League might just be his level. And, you know, I think I've said this before, but... It's the sort of thing, that deal, that someone loses their job over. Well, the person lost their job. So, you know, we know we overpaid for Pepe. We probably shouldn't have done what we did with Saliba, but the person responsible for that is out the club. So, you know, we take it as it is. Um, And the other uh, Frenchman who's gone to Marseille, so the end of uh, Matteo Guendouzi's Arsenal career. um, (sighs) I mean, what do, we, what, do we, what do we make of it? I mean, what do we make of the fact he's gone, how he performed for us? Just overall situation to me seems really bizarre. Yeah, I think there were, there were moments in his Arsenal career where he really showed the ability that he's got. But there was equally moments where he looked absolutely clueless. Um, and his positioning was was questionable. And he's obviously the, the main thing that's, that's brought an end to his Arsenal career has been his attitude. Um and looking at his career, his very young career, there's been so many examples of um, attitude and discipline problems um, throughout. So it's not all that surprising that it's ended this way. And I think it's one that Arsenal, obviously at the time, it was a it was a punt we took on a, on a young midfielder for for about seven eight million pounds we paid for him. Uh, and it's a punt that ultimately hasn't paid off. But sometimes that's just how it is. You you. You, you go for a player for a reasonable fee like that and you hope that you're going to unearth a gem. And at one point, it did look like we were going to do that. But ultimately, it's not it's not quite worked out. So I'm not I'm not all that disappointed. Um, I, I, I am in the sense that I did think at times there was a real player in there. But when you think about the transfer fee and the sort of risk-reward ratio that we we went into that is not really the end of the world. What what does disappoint me is that obviously he's gone on gone to Marseille on a loan with, is it an option to buy, I believe? Um, and I, I'm sure there's requirements within that option to buy that make it sort of mandatory mm. to, to, to a certain point. Um, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of that. But... It just feels like, yet again, this is where we're struggling to move players on. And 
it's I saw someone use the analogy of it's just Arsenal kicking a can down the road. Um and it's something that we we continually do where we're just loaning players as opposed to just moving them on. And I appreciate it that I think that is part of the times as well and obviously the COVID factor that teams are reluctant to sort of invest that money. They want a bit of a insurance, shall we, shall we say. But yeah. we do need to start moving players on permanently if they if they haven't got a future at Arsenal. And hopefully that, that deal has been negotiated in a way that it makes it very likely that that will be the outcome for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can't get too hung up on someone who scored one Europa League goal for us. Great goal. Um, Lovely finish. Um, the, the the other one was, uh, of course, Joe Willock, um, rumoured to be going back to Newcastle, only on loan for another year. Uh, what do you... Had you seen that? I had I seen that. Um, and I, I, I think there's been some rumours, potentially, that we might offer him a new contract before he goes as well. Um, okay. Which, if, if we did that, I would be okay with it, because... I mean, I, I'm part of an Arsenal group chat, which I, I don't comment on. I just sort of read every now and again what's going on. And within that group chat, all of them have been saying, oh, Will, it's got to be part of the site. And I think that's a, that's an opinion which has been completely based on his seven goals in seven games for Newcastle um, without actually looking at his performances um, beyond that and without actually looking at how he would fit into Arteta's side. And we've spoken before about that and said that it's not necessarily a system that particularly suits Joe Willock. He's not he hasn't been playing for Newcastle as an out and out central midfielder. Let's 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 be clear about that. And yeah. is he going to play ahead of Emil Smith Rowe? No, he's not. Is he going to play in one of those attacking wide areas? No, he's not. Okay, well then you're struggling to find a role for him within this Arsenal side. Um Absolutely. so I'm not I'm not disappointed. I don't I personally don't think he has a long term future at Arsenal because of those those reasons. But I think if you could send him on loan and extend his contract to protect his worth, then I think you're probably getting the best of both worlds. And then you can reevaluate at the end of the season whether you want to keep him or whether you think it's time for him to move on. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think, I actually think the evaluation of Joe Willock is exacerbated by that end of season run. So to know that. We're going to get a true view of him. I think a full season at Newcastle tells you all you need to know. If he scores 20 goals next season and he's an Arsenal player, you know it's right. You know you've got to find a way to put him in your team. Yeah. If he scores five and three assists, then you you know he hasn't played in front of a full ground at Newcastle and, and they're known for being um, turning on the team quickly, should we say. Yeah. So he's he hasn't contended with those factors. Empty stadiums, uh, allowed to break away from midfield as much as he likes, is completely different. But as I said, if he scores 10, 15 goals from midfield next season, I take it all back and we, we should we should keep him. Um, but we'll know at the end of this season. The problem is, is if he only does that, we have you know, do you get the same evalu evaluation that you do now? But at the end of the day, it's probably much more sensible. To, to play the long game on this one, yeah, yeah, I think I think so, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. But it does look like that one's probably going to happen because, uh, uh, particularly if you look at Arteta's comments the other day, he was he was asked about Joe Willock and he said, as, as something along the lines of, as long as as he is an Arsenal player, we'll we'll look to use him, um, and 
I don't know why that sort of it felt like a bit of a clue in the title where he said as long as he's an Arsenal player. Mm. Um, so I, I'd, I'd be quite surprised if he starts the campaign with Arsenal. And I think that would probably be um, the best for all parties involved if we do extend his deal before he goes. And the, the other one who's been linked away, actually, um, but which just popped into my head, has been Reese Nelson. Um, mm. And I thought he looked he looked quite sharp against Hibernian the other day. Um, but the issue you're going to have with Reese Nelson is if he's playing off the right, then he's got Saka and he's got Pepe in front of him. And yeah. you just don't see where he's getting game time. And he's another one that we've looked at that has been reported that we've, we're going to offer a contract to and that he's going to go on loan. And I think if any player needs a loan deal, it's, it's, it's probably Reese Nelson. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100 wrapping up it looks like three deals so a few more to go but yeah pretty good I'm, I'm I'm getting excited for the new season yeah so am I I'm just getting excited to be back in football grounds regularly and also just <laughs> seeing you regularly as well that'll be uh what will feel like a novelty seeing you every every week um absolutely so that'll be that'll be lovely to see as well um Okay, so I think that that probably brings us to a close to this podcast because I think we've covered most things. Um, so I think our, the next step will probably obviously be reviewing a few more of the pre-season games that we see and, also, and obviously um, doing a bit of a preview about the, the upcoming campaign, uh, which we'll have to carefully coordinate because obviously my wedding's coming up and there could potentially be a honeymoon in there as well. So if I'm on my honeymoon and I say to Laura, oh, I, by the way, I'm, I'm recording a podcast with Andre, I don't know how well that would go. I think she'd take it very well. I think, I think, I think she'd like the break. You know, I think she'd appreciate a nice 45 minute segment without you. That's how I see it. <laughs> That's a lovely, lovely way of looking at it. So uh, maybe we will. <laughs> but we'll, we, we will be back very soon with another podcast, I'm sure. Um, Andre, thank you very much for your time as always. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time as well, my friend. And we will be back shortly with another podcast. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, which has been a little bit dormant in the last uh, few weeks, but we'll try to ramp up that again. You can search for us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter um, with the boys in red and white. So we'll be back shortly with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.